Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. You can listen to all the past episodes by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1913, the Fireman's Monument is unveiled. In 1879, a new apparatus is introduced into the FDNY to combat fires in the city's skyward-reaching buildings. And in 1954, a notable fire prevention advocate is named Commissioner of the FDNY. Deputy Chief Charles Kruger died in the line of duty in the cellar of a building fire at 215 Canal Street on February 14, 1908. At the chief's funeral, the Right Reverend Henry Potter spoke of firefighters in glowing terms and said that he regretted there was no public monument as a tribute to their heroism. It was Reverend Potter's idea that a fireman's monument be erected in New York City. In response to his suggestion, philanthropists, clergymen of all faiths, civic leaders, and the press joined in a cooperative effort to raise funds for a suitable memorial. Five days after Chief Kruger's funeral, in a meeting held at Delmonico's restaurant, respected citizens, including the former Secretary of the Interior, Cornelius Bliss, prominent New York attorney, Henry Taft, Postmaster General, Thomas James, Isidore Strauss, the owner of Macy's, philanthropist, Andrew Carnegie, and the FDNY Commissioner, Hugh Bonner, were organized as a fundraising committee. The New York Globe gave the movement widespread publicity. Contributions came in from the general public, ranging from 50 cents to $5,000, which at the time was a substantial sum. Some Broadway shows gave benefit performances. The New York City Board of Estimate contributed $40,000. In total, about $90,000, equivalent to about $2.9 million today, was raised. Harold Van Buren McGonagill was retained as architect for the design, which was subsequently executed by the noted sculptor Attilo Piccarelli. This famous pair also teamed up to create the USS Maine Memorial that graces the Columbus Circle entrance to Central Park. A site at Riverside Drive and West 100th Street was selected as the most desirable. Overlooking the Hudson River from a terrace, the memorial is 22 feet high and 26 feet wide at its base. At each end are sculptures consisting of courage, depicted as a woman holding a still firefighter in her arms, and duty, typified by a seated feminine figure embracing a child and holding a firefighter's helmet. The central image, sculptured on a bronze tablet facing the Hudson River, depicts a horse-drawn steamer racing to a fire. This image was taken from an actual photograph of Engine Company 83. The memorial was unveiled on September 5, 1913 but was forgotten until 1929, when a New York Times article reported that Honorary Deputy Chief William Cohen, while on vacation in Paris, laid a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in memory of the New York fireman who died in action with the American Expeditionary Forces in France. Upon reading the article, Jerry Daly, Secretary of the New York City Transit Authority, observed that since its unveiling, no such commemorations were held at the Fireman's Monument. 
Mr. Daly called this to the attention of FDNY Commissioner John Dorman, who responded by convening a meeting of department chaplains, Chief of Department Kenlin, and the President of the Uniformed Firemen's Association. It was decided that an annual memorial service should be held on the Sunday closest to Fire Prevention Week. The first such annual service was held on October 6, 1929, and has become department tradition ever since, though now on Wednesday. No departmental memorial service was held in 2001, and the 2002 service was held in Madison Square Garden to commemorate the events of the preceding two years, including the loss of 343 members on September 11, 2001. The annual FDNY memorial service at the monument draws virtually every off-duty member, as well as firefighters from around the world. It is estimated that the attendance reaches over 6,000 people each year. Hello everyone, I'm Jennifer Brown, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum. Thank you for listening to our Throwback FDNY podcast. We invite you to become a member of our wonderful cultural institution in Lower Manhattan. We preserve the history of the fire department in New York City, educate the public on fire and life safety, and celebrate the wonderful traditions of the FDNY. To learn more about our membership program and the perks it offers, go to nycfiremuseum.org. Back in our July 2021 episode, we talked about a fire at the World Building in 1882 that ushered in a new type of ladder, along with a school of instruction, to teach firefighters how to use it. The fire underscored the vertical growth of buildings known as skyscrapers in New York. While the new ladders helped reach stranded victims on upper floors, fighting the flames at these heights was still a challenge. As we know, there are times when hose lines either can't reach the seat of a fire on an upper floor of a building, or when conditions within the building require the firefighters to be pulled out, with an exterior operation being mounted. Back in the mid-1800s, there wasn't an effective way of delivering large volumes of water to the upper floors of a structure from the outside. That changed in 1879 with the adoption of the water tower apparatus. A few years earlier, a machinist by the name of John Hogan, in the employ of Abner Greenleaf in Baltimore, invented what he called, quote, a portable standpipe fire extinguishing apparatus, end quote. The term being somewhat long-winded, they gave it the nickname of a water tower. Mr. Greenleaf so admired the potential of this device to be deployed to project water to upper levels of buildings on fire that he built a full-scale tower mounted on a horse-drawn vehicle. To whom did he turn to try out this new apparatus? The FDNY, of course. Like so many inventions and novelties, whether it's in the 19th century or today, they are often met with skepticism. Back then, the FDNY did not have the money nor the confidence to purchase this device. So Greenleaf offered it on a trial basis. He hoped that if the FDNY liked it, approved of it, and put it into service, he would have the best reference possible for selling more. On June 14, 1879, Greenleaf demonstrated to the FDNY chiefs how the water tower would be used, and he made his proposal for a free trial. The commissioners accepted the offer and placed Water Tower Company No. 1 in service on July 2nd. The trial was a success, and two years later, the FDNY purchased the new apparatus, along with a second one. This first Greenleaf apparatus was a pipe 
that was raised manually by men turning two large cranks. Two extensions could be added to the base pipe to bring it to a full height of 50 feet. At the top was a movable nozzle, and at the lower end were inlets for large caliber water hoses. The Fireman's Journal of September 4, 1880, described the water tower as follows, quote, This apparatus is really the only absolutely new appliance for fire extinguishment that has been invented since the steam fire engine was introduced. There have been improvements in engines, ladders, hose, and rolling stock of all kinds, but of new inventions, original in all respects and of practical utility, there have been none for over 20 years, end quote. In the years that followed, several manufacturers improved on Greenleaf's original design, and the FDNY purchased several, with the last being purchased in 1930. I must note that the independent Brooklyn Fire Department also invested in water towers, which were added to the FDNY fleet upon consolidation of the departments in 1898. In all, there were six water tower companies that served in the FDNY. Like many inventions that are so impressive and important when they are introduced, with time they may be replaced or removed for a variety of reasons. Such was the case for the water towers, as FDOI ladder companies being added to the roster were capable of delivering streams of water much in the same way as the water towers did. So on April 1st, 1957, all water tower companies were disbanded. Two towers were kept as reserve units until finally making their exit on September 10, 1959. Unfortunately, none of the water towers that served the department were retained for their historic value. Several from other departments do exist in other fire museums, and to see one, especially in action, is impressive. In October, the New York City Fire Museum will open an exhibition showcasing award-winning photographer Jill Friedman's moving collection of photographs documenting New York City firefighters on the job in the 1970s. Firehouse, the photography of Jill Friedman, will feature numerous images contained in Friedman's book, which was released in 1977 and garnered rave reviews, highlighting their honesty and grit that captured the danger, tragedy, heroism, and camaraderie of being a firefighter in New York City. To create this display of heroism and heart, Friedman lived among the firefighters in the Bronx and Harlem for more than a year as she chronicled their work. The photography of Jill Friedman will be on display from mid-October 2022 through April 2nd, 2023. Book your visit at nycfiremuseum.org. In the crowd at the Equitable Building Fire in 1912 stood an avid fire buff, Edward F. Cavanaugh, accompanied by his four-year-old son, Edward Jr. Little would either imagine that the youngster would eventually become the New York City Fire Commissioner. Born on August 18, 1908, in the Rockaway section of Queens, Edward Cavanaugh attended Georgetown University, earning his Bachelor of Arts degree in 1929 as an undergraduate. One of the class papers he wrote was on the subject of fire prevention. He received a law degree from Brooklyn Law School in 1933. Upon graduation, he entered private practice and began to write a book on his favorite subject, fire prevention. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Cavanaugh enlisted in the Army Air Corps, being commissioned as a captain. During his military career, he served on the staff of Lieutenant General William Knudsen as Director of Intelligence and Security 
His service resulted in numerous citations, including the Army Commendation Medal and the Legion of Merit. After four years of service, Mr. Cavanaugh left active duty with the rank of Colonel. Returning to New York City, Mr. Cavanaugh held several appointed positions in city government, including Deputy Commissioner and later Commissioner of the Department of Marine and Aviation and Commissioner of the Department of Hospitals. He became known for transforming these agencies and bringing about substantial changes to their management. Mr. Cavanaugh was appointed fire commissioner by Mayor Wagner on January 1, 1954. During his first interview as commissioner, he stated that fire prevention would be one of his priorities, saying the surface has barely been scratched. Before the end of his first year in the position, he once again reiterated the importance of a department-wide fire prevention initiative. Some of the elements of the program included distributing fire safety pamphlets in both English and Spanish. In 1959, he instituted a fire warden program in commercial occupancies throughout the city. And in 1960, the FDNY teamed up with the Walt Disney Company and began showing their animated film, I'm No Fool with Fire. Throughout his tenure as commissioner, his priority on fire prevention was evidenced by multiple articles on the subject in almost every issue of the department's training magazine, WNYF. Here's one note of a more personal nature about Commissioner Kavanaugh. If you look at photographs of him at fires, you will see he did not wear a standard firefighter's helmet. He wore what appears to be a baseball cap with a distinctive Maltese cross embroidered on the front. As it turns out, this was actually a custom equestrian helmet made for him by a famous hat maker in Connecticut who also bore the name Kavanaugh. This helmet was recently donated by the Kavanaugh family and is now in the collection of the New York City Fire Museum. And now it's time for our Throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. What aircraft struck the Empire State Building in 1945? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum with help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important reminder. Fire Prevention Week is commemorated every October. But fire safety and fire prevention must be a part of our daily lives. As we enter the cold months of the year, please keep this in mind. Never overload outlets with electric heaters. Electric heaters draw a lot of energy and might draw more amperage than an outlet can provide, causing a fire. Do not put extension cords underneath rugs or carpeting where friction can cause them to fray and result in a short circuit setting the carpet on fire. Using heaters like those powered by propane that have a live flame are very dangerous when used indoors. Only use such heaters that are designated for indoor use. Make sure the area is well ventilated and never leave them on either unattended or overnight. In addition to the fire hazard, 
They also present a risk of carbon monoxide poisoning. Please use the utmost care when using any type of heating device. Improper use of these devices is a common cause of fires. Their proper use will keep you, your family, and your visitors safe. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. Until next time, thank you and stay safe.